In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Hey everybody, thanks for listening and thanks to the show's sponsor today, Stratus Technologies. Stratus Technologies provides innovative solutions to turn data into actionable results. No matter the industry, whether you manage an assembly line, an oil and gas pipeline, water treatment plant, a smart building process, or biotechnology and device organization, you need to optimize business performance and efficiency since downtime or lack of security are not an option. Tell them thank you for sponsoring the show by going to their website at stratus.com. Check out their edge system because far from the cloud or your data center, decisions and actions need to be made at the edge in real time with the right information in the right place. Stratus Solutions, simple, protected, autonomous. Today I have on the show with me Mike Zorn. He is an executive coach with Sherpa Coaching. Now, some of you may be wondering, I thought this was the big OGGN HSE podcast, the podcast where we're dedicated to everyone coming home safely. What are we doing with a guy like that on the show? Well, for those of you who are regular listeners, you won't be surprised by this at all. You well know that we believe being an effective HSE professional is not one dimensional. It's a lot more than carrying around a safety manual and trying to be the safety cop health and safety and protecting the environment isn't so much about enforcing rules. It's about educating and motivating people. So a lot of the guests that we have on this show are, are certainly not one dimensional. The listeners we have on the show are not just HSE people per se, but as we always say on this show, HSE is for everybody in a company from the top down. And so we have a, you know, a lot of C-suite folks that listen to this show as well. And so the fact that we're not one dimensional, we do bring on some different kinds of guests. That's one of the reasons people listen to this show. I mean, one time we did a podcast at an SPE young professional event from a golfing facility. This was three or four years ago. I don't remember exactly, but golfers will remember because it was the year that there were more rule changes in golf initiated at one time than there had been in several years, if not decades. So we had a golf pro on the show to discuss these rule changes. And then we related how golf is a self-enforced sport. There aren't any referees to call fouls. And this is actually how a good safety program should be. We also had a chiropractor on at the same time to discuss preventative measures so as to not get injured. So anyway, with all that, I'm excited about having Mike on our show today to offer some effective leadership skills, which is what a good HSE professional needs to have. Mike, thanks for coming on the show. Russell, thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. Well, as I said, that was a kind of a long introduction, but I really passionately believe that. And I think it's one of the reasons people listen to this podcast. So I'm really glad to have you on the show. So Mike, first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. Of course, I'm talking to you over the internet. So where are you right now? I'm actually out in Berkeley, California. Moved out here when I went to college. Which was? UC Berkeley. UC Berkeley. Okay. That means you must be smart. Well, not that so much. I was fortunate. I spent uh, 20 years in the Midwest, in Cincinnati, Ohio. I was actually born in Nebraska, lived 
the first two years of my life in Nebraska. My family moved out here and had a small variety store in San Francisco. I, you know, went to college, as I said, grew up, went to college out here, lived in Cincinnati for 20 years or so, and then moved back here to Berkeley in 2017. So that 20-year time span, what were you doing? Well, actually, for longer than that, even when I was out here, for about 30 years, I worked for Macy's department stores in a number of roles, including a legal role for a while, then got into human resources and found that I really enjoyed the human resources part, and mostly around you know, employee enablement, employee experiences. I did do a lot of labor union work for them. But as I grew in my career, it really became, how do I help people be the best that they can be, whether it's the frontline, management, or even the C-suite? So I spent most of my time doing that. It's kind of what led me into coaching, to be quite honest with you. I found kind of the last eight years or so of my time, time with Macy's, I was spending a lot of time coaching people and helping people do their jobs and helping people and guiding them in the most effective ways to have relationships with others, productive, strong relationships. And so what that caused me at one point, I got a little weirded out and realized I was doing this without any training or any, <laughs> any context around it. So I. So are you an attorney? I am no longer an attorney. I was for a short while. That's what your education was in? Yeah. And I found I didn't like the profession of it, to be quite honest with you. So I decided I wanted to do something where I could help. And that's well, kind great. of into the human resource area. So you've been with Sherpa how long? I've been with Sherpa since 2018. And you say you kind of transitioned, you realized you were kind of doing this at Macy's anyway, so you just transitioned into doing it kind of full-time or fully focused or what? Yeah. So I made the decision I was going to leave Macy's. I had a chance to meet one of the founders of Sherpa and spend some time with her. She actually kind of became my coach in a little bit. And what I realized and what I wanted to be able to do was to have a number of contexts around coaching and how to coach. And what I found with the Sherpa process is it truly is a process. And I think it allows people to grow and to become stronger leaders through what we can help them with in their coaching. So I have probably coached now over a couple hundred people in the short period of time that I've been doing it, four or five years. That's not counting the Macy's people early on. Really enjoyed myself. and. I think I've helped make some differences in people's lives through the process. Well, that's great. Okay, let's put a bookmark on that Sherpa process. But first of all, tell us a little bit about Sherpa, who they are, who it is, where it is. So Sherpa is headquartered in Cincinnati, Ohio. As I mentioned, I was there, and that's how I kind of learned about it. Sherpa is a full-functioning coaching, training, facilitation company. They service lots of industries. They service lots of companies. And, you know, they're able to, frankly, help leaders be better at what they do, which is lead. So it's a wonderful organization to be part of. And it's a wonderful, you know, I feel very comfortable promoting what they do. So now, okay, you say it's in Cincinnati, Ohio, and obviously you're now in Berkeley, California. So geographically, what areas does Sherpa serve? Sherpa serves most of North America, including U.S. and Canada. I've had a number of Canadian clients, even though I'm based in the U.S. Sherpa is one of the first ones, and what intrigued me a lot about it is they have some wonderful tools, and all the tools are very easy to use from a virtual standpoint. 
doesn't mean we don't do in-person coaching, but most of our business is virtual. And what it allowed us to be able to do is when the pandemic and COVID hit was to be able to continue the services that we were providing when some other companies struggled to kind of get up to virtual. Sherpa already had, you know, 10 years of experience doing coaching from a virtual standpoint. Oh, well, that was fortunate. Well, we're hurting over 100 countries. Maybe we'll get you some international clients. That would be fabulous. Okay. So let's, what do you want to do? Talk about this Sherpa process? Kind of intrigued by that. Sure. Well, the Sherpa process starts with really several things. I think when you think about leadership, it's really understanding first yourself. It's understanding what motivates you, what causes you to do what you do. And part of the cornerstone of the Sherpa process is understanding your triggers, what causes you to act a certain way in front of people, what causes you to be very engaged and be very positive, and what may cause you to be unproductive in that process. The founder of Sherpa developed a concept called Why It Matters. And it's one of the cornerstones of Sherpa. It's really trying to understand what are those filters, those values, those strengths, those weaknesses that you hold important, and how do those cause you to act in the workplace and to be based on it? I think the other part of Sherpa that I think is really, really important is they truly believe in having a business result. And they have an equation that they use, which is called impact on business. And impact on business is taking the business skills plus the business behaviors provide you with a productive business presence. And a lot of folks, leaders that I see that I get to work on, you know, they're very comfortable with their business skills, whatever that might be. If you're an accountant, being able to understand profit and loss statements, working with investors. But I think a lot of studies out there show that the leadership behaviors is really what makes people successful in the workplace. I just got through working with somebody who was a global sales leader. He was masterful at his ability to sell. He was masterful at the ability to kind of understand the analytics of the sales process and frankly was wonderful building relationships and working with his customers. However, If somebody internally challenged him, if somebody took issue with what he was doing or how he was doing his job and they were internally based, he would become highly angered. And this guy was 6'7 and probably weighed 300 pounds. So he is already intimidating. Oh, wow. (laughs) But when he got angry, he was even more intimidating and it frightened people. It caused people to not want to work with him. And so what we had to do is really kind of understand what was triggering, what was causing this? Why was it that when externally he was great, internally he was not? And it basically came down to his why it matters. What was important to him was to be respected. And when he felt that people internally were challenging him, they were disrespecting him. Externally, he expected it. That's what customers do. But internally, just, you know, respect me for what I am. And so we had to get over the fact that those weren't personal challenges, but people are trying to help brainstorm and problem solve with him. And once we were able to break through that aspect of his behavior, he became a model team playing sales leader and his team rallied. It became just an incredible success story. You related that story to sales, but as I tried to say at the beginning, that same process of 
works over in the HSE side, you need to be able to create that kind of teamwork amongst everyone. You have to have the, what do you call it, relationship skills in order to do that. You know, I'm always reminded of one of the famous quotes from General George S. Patton. He used to say something to the effect that if everybody in the room thinks the same thing, somebody's not thinking. (laughs) That's great. You know, Russell, you really struck a nerve, you know, as I was thinking about getting ready for this podcast and stuff, you know, and what I really care about in this. The ability to influence people, whether it's on safety measures or, you know, health measures or anything, change within an organization. One of the untapped skills, behaviors that I think are so critical for leaders is the ability to really be able to influence. You know, we come oftentimes from a kind of command and control. I'm the senior leader. I'm the boss. You do what I say. Just go get it done. And you find that people's commitment, people's ability to really rally and to get on the bus with people is really much more about influence. It's about, you know, helping people understand, you know, what they're doing, why they're doing it, understanding the obstacles that they see in their own mind, helping them address it. You know, I think any kind of change or any kind of policy dissemination, the ability to think as a leader how best to influence people. Not to coerce them, not even to persuade them, but to influence them to want to be on your bus is really an important trait to be able to develop. It's interesting that you put it that way, talking about not just about chain of command, because going back to that patent illustration, I mean, in the Army, you do have a chain of command and it is do it because I said so, but your best officers don't operate that way. You got that. And I'll say that same with leader. You know, as I don't have any idea how old you are, but I'm a baby boomer. I admit I'm a baby boomer. And I grew up, you know, in my career with people that believed chain in command. And they believed, frankly, you do it because I told you and don't question me about it. But you know what? The world isn't that way anymore. And to be a successful leader now, we've got to influence. We've got to help people. We've got to set expectations and listen to people around whether they can commit to it. You know, one of the things that you were asking about process this year, but one of the things that I think that is phenomenal is something they call expectation mountain. And it's really about how a leader can help somebody and guide somebody in understanding why they're doing a task or why they're doing a project. And the key to it, the secret sauce to it is really three things. One, being very clear on what you want done. And, you know, I don't know, you know, in my career, I've had many leaders share something with me that they wanted done, and I had no idea what they were talking about. But I didn't know enough that really kind of quiz them on it. So one is having leaders be very clear about what they're asking. Second is to get the commitment from the person. You know, I can't tell you how many, you know, the 200 people I said I've coached, I would say at least 175, 180 of them, when I asked them about how they delegate and set expectations. They don't wait and get the commitment from the person. So you want to be clear, share what you're doing, then stop and ask the person questions. You don't want to ask them, what did you hear me say? That's very condescending, but ask questions like, you know, so what are your next steps? What are the obstacles? And then when they cut through talking about all those things, say, I just want to be sure we're clear that you're going to be able to do this in the time frame I said, or the time frame we talked about. That's that commitment. It's kind of like, you know, a written contract without having a written contract. People are more likely to follow it. But the other part of it, which I think is just absolutely fascinating, is the time frame on it. You know, clearly 
what leaders need to do to set out and delegate and make sure they're getting commitment is to be clear on what they want, be clear on why they want it, but then be very clear on when they want it. And oftentimes, you know, I mean, again, and I do it all the time. I've caught myself many times. You know, get this to me when you can or get it to me ASAP or get it to me next week. Well, what the heck does that mean? Why are we afraid to say, I need this by Friday at five o'clock? Can you do that? And then that person can say they can or they can't, huh? Yeah. And so you get that clarity on it. So you eliminate the frustration. I mean, so many people, when you talk to them, they get frustrated. I expected it by Wednesday. And when the person you talk to them and you say, okay, they expected Wednesday. Well, they told me to get it to them as soon as I could. And I couldn't get it to them for three weeks. So being very clear on that win, to me, is another one of those kind of secret sauces that help get things done and help leaders to lead their teams. Okay. So if we were talking, if I were to ask you the top three lessons you've learned while coaching these high level leaders over the course of your careers, is that your top three there? Well, we've talked about a lot. So I will talk about a couple. Let me add a few others. One, you know, a lot of leaders are hesitant to ask for coaching. And I'm always fascinated about the why of that. And, you know, I became very intrigued. I was a tennis player and I became very intrigued by Roger Federer and why he was so successful. Never had any aspiration that I'd ever be even close to what he did, but I was intrigued by it. And what I found is that Roger Federer had about five coaches for different parts of his tennis playing. And so, you know, why shouldn't leaders have the ability to have a coach? Why shouldn't leaders have the ability to, you know, it's lonely at the top and we all need support. So being okay with a little vulnerability and helping people, leaders understand that that's okay, I think is one of the things that I've really learned just how hard it was sometimes for them to be okay with the concept. Because all coaching is, is, you know, people get to where they are because of all their strengths and their, you know, that they've had. But coaching is to kind of help to the next level. It's not changing the way people do things. It's not changing who they are. It's just guiding and it's helping. And what I found is people like to be in their comfort zone. We all get up in the morning, drive to work the same place. We go to the same basic coffee shops. And one of the most fascinating things, and this is when I was still at Macy's, I would watch people sat in meeting rooms, whether it's a conference room. They sat in the same chairs and they always sat in the same chairs. And what I started to do just is I'd go sit in different chairs. And it would cause people to act very differently because you broke them out of their comfort zone. So part of coaching, what I would want to be able to share with people is to help people get out of sight, their comfort zone and more into kind of their learning zone. You know, that little level where I'm willing to explore other things. I'm willing to seek guidance from others. You know, I'm trying to understand from other people's perspectives. So that would be one of the lessons is, Helping folks be okay with it. Helping folks understand that coaching is something that can dramatically impact their professional lives and help them be stronger leaders. Well, your sports analogy with Federer, I mean, it works in any sport. I mean, baseball, football, basketball, you know, hockey. I mean, these are the absolute world's best athletes, unless you've ever been around any of them, it's almost impossible to imagine exactly the degree of of what great athletes they are. And yet they all have coaches. 
they all have coaches. And it's just, you know, I was watching where I got into Federer's. I was at a tennis tournament. And I was watching his coaches work with him. And it was like, just move his foot, you know, two inches when he's serving. Well, that's what a coach can do with business leaders, too. It's, it's not changing it. It's not saying, okay, Roger, put the left foot forward, not the right. Just move it two inches. And that's what coaching can do with leaders, too. It's not about changing folks. It's about helping them get the support they need to be more productive leaders. Okay, so that was one. Do you remember number two now? Well, I talked a little bit about the triggers that we all have. And I think part of it is we all have triggers. We all have things that cause us to react in a certain way, whether they're filters, ground rules that we have applied, you know, ground rules being success factors for how I want you to work with me. And so as leaders, we don't take the time sometimes to stop and think about what are our triggers? What are the things that cause us to act the way we do? I'll just share one real quickly with you. For me, it's time. I grew up where we ate dinner at six o'clock every night. And if you showed up at 6.05, well, you were on your own for dinner. So time <laughs> has become really critical to me. And people that work with me need to know that. So if we have a meeting set at 8 o'clock, you better be there at 8 o'clock. Because 8 o'clock-ish isn't okay with me. Now, what I found throughout, again, and it took me a while to find it, was I never told people that. What I found was, you know, if somebody showed up late, you know, even if it's three or four minutes, I would become agitated. And it was my fault because I never told anybody. So part of it is understanding what causes us to react a certain way. What causes us to do that? And then what do we do about it that is productive, proactive? And so often what we do, and Sherpa's got a process that kind of walks people through it, is we focus on people and not what the issues are. So we let somebody trigger us because they make a statement. But we're not looking at the issue. We're getting involved with the person. So I think understanding our triggers and taking time to do that is really a critical function. And we don't spend that time. So the coaching aspect, whether it's, I mean, usually my assignments are once every two weeks for about an hour, is getting people to really just reflect on themselves and what they need in that hour's period of time. And if I can do that, I think I can help mold people, help guide people into what they need to do. And oftentimes it's around the things that you brought up. How do I bring change into my work environment? What's some ways to do that? I put out this dictate, I put out a PowerPoint, but nobody's doing it. Why not? What can I do different? And so helping people try to understand those things, giving them a support mechanism to be a stronger leader. Okay. Those would be the two biggest ones I have. We talked about impact on business and that would have been my third. Okay. So those would be the two biggest ones. Well, you actually stumbled in just a second ago into, I guess, my final question, you know, and that is the, I guess, time factor involved or whatever. So you said, like, if someone were to listen to this podcast and say, hey, I want to, you know, maybe I want to become a client for Sherpa Coaching. And so they contact you. We'll put your LinkedIn URL in the show notes, you know, or we'll put the website for Sherpa in there. Anyway, they go contact Sherpa. They sign up for coaching. What are they signing up for? I mean, you mentioned sports and I mentioned golf all ago and I try to play the game and it just frustrates me. So, but again, the other day I signed up for another, you know, I signed up for a package of lessons, you know, so is that what you do here? Sign up for packages and they're one hour each as a matter of fact, how does it work with Sherpa? 
Yeah, so it's various options. I mean, Sherpa is very customer-oriented. Usually, it's a three-month assignment or a six-month assignment, either one of the two. It's usually twice a month for an hour each. I believe strongly in having that regiment to it in my coaching because we're making progress. It's developing rhythm. You know, using another sports analogy, it's, you know, it's like a basketball team. You know, they, they always talk about rhythm and getting in the flow of the game. Well, that's kind of what coaching is too, is developing that trust, developing that vulnerability, developing that ability to kind of be open and honest with each other. And you need some time to do that. So typically with Sherpa, it's a three-month or a six-month process. There are some things that Sherpa has, and I would encourage anybody to give them a call or give me a call and I'll connect with the right people if I can't answer the question. But sometimes there's team type processes. Sometimes it's, you know, coaching for leaders within a group. So there's a number of ways. So the individual coaching is what I primarily do. I do do some facilitation of of training classes, but those are usually three or six months. But there are a lot of other services around this, the coaching aspect of things that Sherpa offers that, you know, I would encourage anybody to explore. Well, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you again, Mike. I really appreciate this. Well, that wraps up another episode of Oil & Gas HSE, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network and sponsored today by Stratus Technologies. Stratus Technologies platforms are simple to install and implement. They operate autonomously with constant availability in rugged environments and can protect your data, security, and reputation at the edge of your business. Thanks again for listening. Please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you use. Like us on LinkedIn and use all of your social networking to tell your friends about us. And we'll see you next time. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.